Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York, upstate. Uh, I hope everybody's having a great you know, week. Um, we are really excited to be talking about this episode. We're joined by Van Carlson, and we're going to be talking 831B plans, captive insurance plans, and the, the love and scrutiny that goes with them. So we're going to get some pros and cons, and really excited about this conversation because it is a topic that um, I have been asked about many, many times, um, especially with our construction-owning companies. Um, so Van, welcome. Yes, thank you for having me on. We're uh, I'm looking forward to you know we're educating out there on this code all the time, so I'm I'm excited to be on your on your platform. Great. So tell me about you know your journey. I can't imagine that you know your whole life you went to college to figure out how to do 831b plans and captive insurance. Um, no, so but... you know we, we always find it interesting. You know, what were some of the, the in the in the in the three minute version of the twists and turns yeah. of Van Carlson's career to get to where you are today? You know, uh, I'll, I'll try to make it three minutes real quick. So, you know, I, I did I, I did went and did my four years of service uh, and I got my GI Bill. I came back and went to college uh, at that service. time. I was, I was, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank, you thank you for your thank service. You. It, was, it was a great four years and uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't do that. So, um you know, I, you know, I, I, when people tell me, thank you, I'm like, thank you. Cause it was, it was, uh, it was a great four years and, uh, learned a lot and I grew up fast. Right. Anyway. Um, you know, at that point I was working for FedEx. I saw myself going through middle management, um, you know, selling my soul to the co corporate store. Um, and, uh, I was willing to do it. And then I got introduced into potentially owning my own business to a property casualty agency. And uh, I said, man, if I'm going to work 60, 70 hours for a company um, and do the blood, sweat and tears and learn to hate Christmas, because uh, all managers do that work for any of those shipping companies, sure. um, you know, you know, do I really want to, you know, and then I had to move and all this other stuff. And I and we uh, we live in Idaho. And, you know, if you live in Idaho, you have a certain mentality of wanting to be on the outdoors all the time. And. And so, yeah, I just said, you know, I'll get, I'll, I'll believe in myself and take a shot. And that's really where the property and casualty, uh, I started off pretty successful. Um, Idaho has been growing for the last 20 some odd years now. So I've been in risk management and, you know, like every small business, as you grow, you wear all the hats. And as you build out your team, you're giving those hats off. And I ended up just dealing with commercial clients, the small business owners, uh, mom and pops, um, great people. Uh, risk takers beyond belief, good community supporters, know their employees inside and out, all that stuff, right? And because um, I was one of them as well. Sure. And uh, then 08 came along. Uh, I was introduced to this idea about self-insuring risk and how do you mitigate that risk more effectively by utilizing a very low loan tax code. Um, but uh, I wasn't that interested. And then when 08 happened, unfortunately, I saw a lot of those good people. Um, maybe they weren't astute about all the business structures they were involved in, but nevertheless, you know, they found themselves going out of business and, and, you know, affected my business too, though, you know, they stopped paying their premiums as well. So, you know, I had to, you know, I had to look at some different ways of doing business and, you know, I looked at this, you know, what do smart people do? Well, smart people take advantage of all the rules out there in order to play the, the game the best they can. And that's when really when I became a strong believer in this program, um, so recognizing the financial risk business owners take, because unfortunately, you know, that financial risk is limited in scope. I mean, like we're coming into the fourth year, right? Our fourth quarter, excuse me. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people think they got to go buy more stuff 
accelerate, depreciate the equipment. And I used to love that when I was in property casualty insurance because the fourth quarter came along, I got phone calls too, right? The CPA right, you got was like, little bump there. Yeah, hey, what, hey, I'm going to buy a couple more trucks and a couple more skid steers. What's it going to cost to insure? I'm like, ah, great. I'm in, you know? Um, the problem is they financed it. They didn't pay it off. They didn't take this tax savings and put that down on the equipment, right? They just financed it. And when the craziness to that, the here's the craziest part of that. If you're having a good year, you're just betting next year is going to be better because you just took on a lot more debt. I mean, it's the biggest trappings that I think small business and, and family-ran businesses have. Um, you know, and, and so that's, that, that was not appealing to me. And, and so that's where this program really takes over. And I think the reason why the code exists, I mean, it's an 831B tax code. Um, you know, we can dive into that a little bit, uh, Michael, if you want, uh, I'm happy Absolutely. to do that. It, it's yeah. tax code. It's really exciting, but. Uh, <laughs> now, you, well, why don't we just, why don't we give the, the layman's version of what tax yes. code, IRS tax code 831B is. Yeah, so I kind of started the conversation, you know, there's two tax codes that allow business owners to defer taxes in their business, in their S-Corps, LLCs, or even in their C-Corps. And that's the 401k and an 831b. Now, okay. the 401k is designed for their personal retirement and their employee's retirement. And 831b allows you to recognize self-insuring risk and defer dollars into that self-insuring risk. Um, it was passed in 1986. And a lot of people don't know about this tax code, but it's been utilized literally for decades now by Fortune 500 companies and significantly large companies and then your, yours client and my client. Um, so when it was first introduced, though, it was the farmers that were self-insuring crop insurance. And because what was happening is private sector was getting out of it, right? Because it became very volatile. You know, it's like the hurricane sector, right? The insurance companies for profit, for profit companies don't want to insure those type of volatilities. So they got out of it. And meanwhile, farmers were stuck. Like, how am I going to self insure? How am I? I'm self insuring my own crop insurance. Now, sure. today, grant you, when you hear farm subsidies, it's almost all crop insurance related subsidies that go on out there in the country today. But that wasn't happened back in 1986. And so Congress got together, you know, Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan. I mean, that was the year, that, those were the, those were the, uh, I guess the decade when there was actually compromise where people actually sat down and was civil with each other. And that was my only little tidbit for the politics for the day. I'm out, but uh, civility has, a, you know, it'd be nice to be civil. Right. But anyway, um, so, you know, they came about and both, both, you know, the Senate, the Congress is ran by Democrats. And we, of course, the Republicans had the, 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 the white house, but you know, those were great compromises. I would tell you the Tax Reform Act of 1986 was by far the biggest tax reform act we've had, certainly in my lifetime. I mean, this last go around is, is minuscule compared to what happened in 86. But nevertheless, that tax code- Let, let me jump in for just a second, Van, because you just said something I think is really important that I only know because my father was a financial advisor, started in the mid 70s. And so he went through all of that stuff. And so that Tax Reform Act of 86 did some things to close a whole lot of loopholes in the real estate market. It made some investments almost worthless at that point. But what you're telling me is at that same time, that's when the 831B was introduced. So here they're getting rid of, and, and this is an interesting point, they're getting rid of tax loopholes, but they're creating tax code that's real and, and helpful for some of the business owners out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at self-insuring risk, right? If I have a risk that's certain to my, specifically to my industry, my business, and I can't transfer that risk through traditional means, I can't buy a work comp general liability or property coverage for this type of risk. So I can't transfer it. Well, I'm self-insuring that risk. Okay. Well, if I just took a good example would be warranty, right? Or uh, we call it non-nursability warranty. In order to do business today with a lot of retailers, you got to honor their return policies. Well, I would, I don't, it's not a defective product. It's a fairly good product. It's just they're, they're such liberal return policies today that it's not Target or Costco eating that. It's the distributor and the manufacturer that's eating that. A lot of consumers don't know that. But, you know, so there's, there's a lot of risk that goes into these businesses, even when you do those. And you're, that's all self-insuring risk. You know, supply chain risk. Look at supply chain today, right? 
hugely strained, you're self-insuring that risk. You're self-insuring your brand protection today. You know, if you, if, you know, uh, due to social media, it does, it takes seconds. It takes years to build up to be a, a reputable company and takes seconds to be destroyed, whether it's true or not, right. you know, and you got to be able to defend that. Right. So where's that money going to come from? Right. So these are self-insuring risks that business owners have today. And that's just a few that we can, you know, I'm highlighting them. But the reality is, is, you know, you can't just sit there and take a dollar and park it off to the side and say, hey, if something happens, I'm going to use this dollar. Government says, no, that's self, self-insuring risk is not a deduction. So that's why the code even became in existence. You know, at that point, it's $1.2 million a year. The PATH Act made some changes, so the state tax guys that were out promoting it. And that's really what happened. You know, you know, we call them the Google experts. If our clients went out were to Google 831B today, they would see a lot of a lot of heat on it, truthfully, and I would just say that. But the problem with that is the heat came from attorneys out there promoting this program, not as a risk mitigation tool, but more of an estate tax tool. Mm-hmm. And that's really what brought the cases up. Because, you know, you look at 09, these cases that were tried and, and the IRS is, I think, one of the last four cases under the 831B tax code, we're, we're not done for the purpose of risk, risk mitigation. It was solely for the purpose of estate taxes, because you also got to go back at that time and look at what the estate taxes were at that point. Right. I think it was a million dollars or two. I can't remember that. Anyway, you know, I I was a little guy and young at that time. So, you know, I can't. (laughs) But but, you know, I mean, so there's other motivations going on. And anytime, you know, I I think with the IRS, my experience and and just being the observer of, of things is, you know, get me once, don't get me twice. And unfortunately, you know, and then some of them even got them third time because they went and put life insurance inside of them. And then they just, they were out there promoting tax-free, tax-free income. And, you know, let me me pause you for a second, because I think it's, I just want to make sure that nobody missed what we were just talking about there. So tax code 831B exists in the IRS code, but just like anything else, if you take it to the nth degree times 10 and hope that you're going to get, you know, all kinds of benefits from it. And I, I, I you know, being a, a wealth advisor, we, we don't sell life insurance, but we do help a lot of clients buy it because there's a need sometimes it really, it fits a purpose. Couldn't agree more. Could not, could not agree more. So, yeah. but then if you, if you're trying to sit there and say, my life insurance policy is going to handle, you know, my survivorship planning, my estate planning, my college planning, and I'm going to get my retirement planning out of this one in life insurance policy. Uh, I, I got a funny feeling that you might be missing what the point of well, owning life insurance is. Well, well, Michael, to add to that, they're using it to fund it with tax deferred dollars out of their 831B plan. Right. Which is even, which is, I mean, I get why the IRS is upset. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know it, what I mean? so what we're saying, let me you just because I'm, I'm skipped that is what we're saying is you can take something really good, and anybody can make it bad if that's what they want to do. And so there's some there were some bad apples that you know went after these 831B plans and said we're going to show you how to make tax free dollars, use it for your estate plan, use it for everything possible. And at the same time, though, it's making it tough for people that really have some of these risks. And the risk that you mentioned, like brand risk, every one of my clients, you know, if you're in the middle market, you're doing between 10 million and 200 million dollars, you do not have a fund typically that you're setting aside for brand, you know, management risk. And, and that's a real risk, God forbid, especially if I've been in business for 25, 50 years, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm with you so far. Yeah. And I think that, that makes I mean, think about, think, I mean, unfortunately, think about last year, how many people had political risk? How many people had business, uh, indirect business interruption? So the problem right now is, is all these lawsuits are being come up when the, where the insured, the, the uh, insured is suing the insurer for business interruption, but there's a, there's a specific definitions in the policies about indirect and direct losses. Direct losses are my building caught on fire. I can't work in there anymore. That triggers business interruption under the underlying coverages of the policy. But the, the fact is, is the dental office was perfectly fine. It was just forced to shut down by the municipalities right. or the or state governments. Yeah, no, but so, who have insurance for that? And what, that's exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about, a supply chain. Absolutely. And 
pandemic yeah. insurance, you know, the things that, you well, know. And, and, you know, and, you know, quite honestly, the other one is going to be uh, dispute resolution. I uh, think from what we're seeing already with our clients, I think the lawsuits that are going to be coming in the future over these situations is going to jam up court case. I mean, the court case is already jammed up, right? Yeah. But it's going to get a lot worse, unfortunately. I mean, there is so much things that got to get worked out because this is unprecedented in our, in our, in our, certainly in our lifetime, and maybe even to the extent of 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 the impact it has on the economy and people individually. And and so it's going to be really interesting. But nevertheless, I mean, you know, I love risk. I mean, I hate to say that. I get little, people are like what? But I, you know, I I could I could pretty much talk anybody out of anything. Just tell I can tell you everything that could go wrong. Trust me. I mean, you, you start to develop that. And it's, I don't know if it's a sickness or not, but it's something, one of those things where, uh, you know, I, 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 I always want to be the guy with, you know, you know, the glass is half full, of course, but you know um, you know, there are some, there are, there's a lot of risk and, and unfortunately it's not getting, the world's getting more complicated all the time. Agreed. And, and, and here's the thing about traditional insurance carriers. They do a really good job. They've done very well financially. Um, they're not in a hurt, big hurry to take on more risk anytime soon, especially after this ordeal. Um, so, I, I think for the for the long, uh, this tax code is going to be around for a long time. It's going to become. We tell our clients and we tell anywhere I speak, these platforms are in, in front of audiences that this will become a normal business practice, no different than the 401k. I mean, going back, you know, the 401k model. So, so, uh, and I'll kind of explain what was what we do as a company too, real quick, but. Um, so really, you know, when you look at the 401k, it was very, very expensive to do in the beginning, right? I mean, it was only for big employers and all that kind of stuff. Now we've got it down. The fees have been beat down. We've got good case precedents. We know what the ERISA rules are going to be. And it's a regulated form of business. And it's assumed that every business owner, you wouldn't offer a 401k to your employees. If you couldn't, defer, if you couldn't take the deduction, you wouldn't do it, right? So that's a tax incentive you know, to, for, to provide a retirement plan. And then now you get the 831B. What we are, what we are as a company, because we certainly aren't here to complicate business owners' lives. We're an admin under the 831B tax code. No different than if I engaged a 401k admin, you have to have an administrator. You got to know the rules. You got to know the, how to, the rules of engagement. How do you comply with the tax codes? What's fair and reasonable? Um, all of those things you have to have an administrator to administrate, and that's really where that's where we fit in as a rule 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 with our clients. Yeah, and, know, and for, for clients, real quick, where 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 they would understand this on the four hundred and one k, they have you know their their financial advisor helping them pick investments and hopefully helping them with their fiduciary responsibilities. You have the third party administrator who you know takes care of all the dotting the i's and crossing the t's, making sure the IRS form 5,500 is done and that you've hit all your regulation. And then the record keeper just keeps all the pieces together. So you're acting as the third party administrator to administer that plan. Is that how I get that? No, that's, no, that's exactly right. You know, there's a four part test to like under the 831B, you know, real quick, it's the transfer of risk. It's the risk distribution. It's, it's ensuring fortuitous type risk and then, then acting in principles of insurance because one of the things that this thing needs to look and feel like, you know, if you took an 831B and you said, okay, I got to have a box, what's that box need to look like? Well, it needs to look like an insurance company because that's really what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be operating as, right? So we create the box. We make sure our clients adhere to the four-part plan. We, we give them regulations. We, 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 we tell them there's going to be minimum contribution, you know, max contributions and potentially uh, forced, forced distributions. Now, the nice thing is that box, is, a, is an insurance company that's also a C-Corp. So, you know, the nice thing about a client situation, unlike a 401k, you know, 401k is deferring taxable income in the future. The, the, the 831B plan allows you to take long-term capital gains or dividends out depending if you sh when you shut it down or you want to take a distribution. Um, so there's some advantages there under the tax code for now. You know, we don't know in the future whether that's going to be a win or a loser for the clients. I hope they do, but it's about deferring taxes that you can fight the fight better. You're not having to rely on the PPP. You're not, you know, because barring a catastrophic event, you know, you can't expect the government to step in like they did last year. And maybe they, maybe, maybe never again. I don't, who, who knows? But the point is, is when you're, def when you're deferring, you know, if you're going to have to go fight a fight, 
you're going to have to go deal with, deal with supply chain res- dispute resolutions. Uh, I could talk to you about employer liabilities. I can talk to you about uh, the brand damage we kind of hit on so far, but even cyber today, cyber, you know, there's so, they're so limited in scope of the traditional policies that people are buying today. Uh, trust me, the sublimits on those policies can be devastating to your business if, if they're, you know, and you're only going to be able to buy so much insurance. Right. You know, you know, so again, these are just risk. Risk is never an issue when it comes to small business and middle market business owners. But, you know, truth be told that, um, you know, we help with that as well. I mean, that's that's what we do, right? We're risk mitigators. We'll hire the attorneys. We'll hire the CPAs. We'll do all those things. But as far as my office goes and my team, we're risk mitigation. We're, we're Our background is being in risk management, not not the tax code. Like you said, we know the tax, so we have to, right? No different than a 401k administrator needs to. But we don't give tax advice. We give risk manage. How do you manage your risk more effectively in your business? And you know, I know a lot of your clients are construction folks, and and you know, I see right now construction being a huge risk out there. I, I think supply chain risk is huge right now. Unfortunately, you know, I can't do anything about pricing. You know, think of a future, right? You can't buy a put or a call on a future because you, know, you can't lock in a price on a on a on a piece of a two by four, but you can certainly manage the supply chain risk of that. You know, if all of a sudden I can't get my wood. And I got to get a project done, and I got to now divert to another supplier, and now I'm paying 20% more because of that. Well, that has nothing to do with supply and demand of wood necessarily. It just has simply the fact that supply the supply is drying up. Now, where's that additional money going to come in if I just walked into a contract? You know, now my profits are going to get eight down. Now, how much more risk? Now I'm taking a lot more risk on that. So, supply chains one. I think construction defect is huge today. Uh, you know, these products that are being made today that are showing up. And then, too, a lot of legislation is being passed in states where a lot of these general contractors got to hold a 10-year construction defect. Um, and that's that's problematic. That's self-insuring risk, potentially. The other one I would say that we see in construction specifically is subcontractor default, where I'm, be, I was a general. I hired that subcontractor to come. Any kind of subcontracting work you do, you you hire somebody else out for. Ultimately, you're responsible for their work. Right. The buck and stops you're on the here, hook. right? Yeah, exactly. They're out of business, or they're out of town, or they don't return your calls. Um, and now there's a warranty going on, or you know, five years later they installed the flashing wrong on the roof. You're on the hook for that. You know, and so that those are. Those are risks that, you know, and, and here's the biggest thing, Mike. I always talk about when I talk to business owners, if you're having a good year, just to take a little bit off the top and park it off to the side is just good risk mitigation, but it's also really good business. Yeah. And that's and that's really what I, I want to tell all these risk owners, these business owners, these risk takers, your clients, my clients, that, hey, we want you, we want you going, you're the lifeblood of our country. We get, I mean, absolutely. But to recognize the risk you take and to be able to park a little bit off to the side, I can tell you this, clients that have been with us for a long period of time, and I've been doing this since 2008, a great time to start a business, by the way, but, you know, we, we survived <laughs> and, and we, you know, it was good. Actually, you know, it's, it's good, you know, it's probably a good time to start a business and when, when times are tough, right? You can make it, you can make a lot of money during good times are good, I guess. But anyway, um, you know, going back to all that, you know, we were sitting there and, and, uh, you know, working with all these different business owners, uh, and over the years, and the best compliment we get from them is like, Hey, Van, we just sleep easier at night knowing we've, we've been in your program for a number of years. Uh, last year when COVID first started, claims started coming through and we had, we had a 1300% increase in claims last year due to COVID, you know, we paid out faster than the government did on the PPP. You know, again, as the administrator, we're making sure the money's flowing correctly, that you're putting, you know, if, if there's a claim going on, there's a process for that, all of these things that we do in the background. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm very candid with it. I'm very passionate about that, you know, you guys take a lot of risk. And if you can mitigate that a little bit, I just think it's good business. And, and not only do you owe it to your, your family, your legacy, but you owe it to the employees that work for you. Um, right. You know, if, if I can, if I know all the rules um, and I play the game well, you'll win better. You, you, you know, all be things being equal between competitors. If you knew the rules better, 
you're going to win, right? If, if the talent was equal, right? So I always talked about that with business owners all the time. It's like, and by the way, this is just a tool, right? For the right, right client, it's a great tool. Um, that's it, you know? No, 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 that's great stuff. I just want to keep, you know, because I, I, I watch our time to make sure that we, yeah. we get everything in. So I just want to, you know, we talked about what an 831B is. That makes really good sense. We, we talked about the fact that there are some, you know, what I would call the bad apples out there that are leveraging, you know, every single line in that code. And a lot of times, based on what you're saying, they're doing it improperly. They're doing it for the tax reasons, not for the benefits of the captive itself. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you were to do, if you were to leverage a 401k for all the wrong reasons, guess what? The IRS is not going to be happy about that. And it's just that because there's a lot more 401k programs out there, I'm guessing that that's why it's so easily codified and people know what they're supposed to be doing. That does not take the complication out of 401ks. We happen to be uh, 401k specialists in my office. And, and I'm always, you know, every time I'm introduced to somebody, how often they're out of compliance because they don't know the code because they're in another industry. They're in construction. They're not in the 401k business. It just happens exactly. to be a benefit they have to give. And so I think, you know, this is sounding to me for the first time. I'm going to, I want to say thank you um, because I'm starting to understand a little bit more around this 831B. Now, again, we talked about that, you know, those bad apples. The I, that caused the IRS to send out a soft warning letter to, you know, to people that were running an 831 captive. Give me some of the hit points. What are they looking for? Yeah, you you mentioned. Do you have life insurance inside the plan? What are the other things that you know would I, would help you to know the bad apples? Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote an article for Forbes actually, um, outlining the five bad principles of of captives, and that's really has to do with you know improper risk, uh, no no pooling of risk, um, you know really not following the four part test, ensuring implausible coverages. You know, those are the things they're looking for. Um, you know, there's some downstream issues, I think, that we do a pretty good job with as well. Um, and, you know, I would just say that, uh, you know, I, and I make it very, you know, I tell clients all the time because, believe me, we get a lot of clients coming from us from other uh, administrators. And one of the tests that one of the rules we have is, is, okay, you've been doing this for eight years. How many claims, you know, unfortunately, when you talk about di uh, distribution of risk, you can't own 100% of your own risk and call yourself an insurance company under the box, under the rules. You have to have some risk that's unaffiliated to you because one of the things that the, one of the, things the insurance companies do is how do you leverage the law of large numbers? You know, So we'll create co-op pools that you're going to have to share a little bit of risk of other people's you know, under the brand damage. So you have the potential to pay other people's claims, but we manage that through the law of large numbers. You know, We have three, 400 clients in a pool you know, we're able to manage that much more effectively than if there was one person in the pool, right? So that's another big one. That's really where they got caught. A lot of them were, they just weren't distributing risk. So one of the questions we asked our clients or our clients that already been doing this program for a while is, have you had other claims that were not your own? And if they tell us no, well, then that's probably a problem. That's, that's a little bit of a, um, potential red herring <laughs> that, okay. you know, are, were you properly pulled to begin with? Because last year, I would tell you, all of our clients had claims, whether they had their own claim or not, because everybody, there were so many claims last year, but we managed that. That is a calculated risk business owners take to do an 831B. You have to have distribution of risk. And if you don't have it, uh, the courts have found that you're not an insurance company. Well, if you're not operating as an informative insurance company, then you can elect under the 831B. And that's really how they were able to capture everybody. And, and truthfully, um, that was the warning letter that was sent out. Um, you know, we've been doing this for 12 years. Uh, you know, we've had no issues with the IRS. Um, the tax code is going to be here for a very long time. Uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, especially after last year. And, and unfortunately, it continues throughout this year. Um, and so that all being said, there, again, there's, to your point, Mike, there's right ways and wrong ways of doing things. And it's always been something in our history as our country that we'll have people, you know, they'll take the line and they're going to constantly try to be moving it and for alternative motives. And, you know, this thing as good as it gets is deferring, deferring the income in the business to be able to fight the fight in a more efficient way. Because here's the thing, 
you're going to get two to four times more in that dollar than if you just were trying to use after-tax dollars. And, and I can't tell you how many business owners I've sat with and said, okay, what are you doing with this? What are you doing about this risk? Well, we take that risk, and, you know, but you recognize that as income. So if you make a dollar of profit and you're going to take that dollar instead of the side, you, then you're down to about 50 to 60 cents, depending on your tax bracket and your pass-throughs and your state, you know, all that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be much better off to take a dollar to four to two to two dollars versus 50 cents or less to go fight a fight? You know, so those are things that that's that's really where the efficiencies of the business happens. And I think just like you, it's a night, you know, it, education, knowledge is power. And again, for for business owners that, you know, lose sleep at night, truthfully, uh, over these types of issues, this can help, this program can help relieve that. And that's, you know, and to be, you know, when I was back and running my property casualty agency, you know, I had clients that became friends and, and, you know, they, you know, they, they said all the time to me, Van, you're a great guy, you're a good guy, but every time I see you, you cost me money. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's just property casualty insurance, right? But, sure. you know, with this program, you know, we're making our clients sleep easier at night and you elevate your professionalism with your business owners. Um, and, and again, get, again, just getting the word out on platforms such as yours and getting and, and letting people know that this is out there available to them. We're very conscious of fees. We don't want fees to ever kill a deal. Uh, we believe every small to middle market business owner own, should, will own some kind of form of an 831B plan, um, and it will become a normal business practice. I think self-insuring risk is going nowhere but up from here, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that makes an awful lot of sense. So what, let's go through again, you know, and we captured some of the different types of risk that people would, no. you know, that would do. But maybe we can break them out into some of the different industries. So, if you know, you talked about the ones in, in, in construction, you know, where it was project risk and some of the other ones, but maybe inside of manufacturing or maybe inside of professional services, maybe if you just kind of go through so that the audience can kind of get an yeah. idea to say, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, you know, a lot of times we go to the client, what, 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 tell us what, you know, and, and it's been, you know, unfortunately last year we had a lot of new ideas come to us okay. because we didn't, you know, because of COVID, right. Because we were like, Oh man, you know, we should have coverage for that. We, so we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of depending on the industries, right. We do with a lot of the medical community, dental communities, we're, we're looking at uh, deductible reimbursements where today, unfortunately, you know, to offset some of your costs and traditional insurances, you're taking on more risk. We have a, we have a specific program where you can do a 831B um, and it's called uh, IRE. It's an IRE program, but you can take over your traditional insurance as well. And you pick and choose the deductible level you want. Uh, and that deductible difference on savings of the premium, we're able to tuck into an 831B. And now we're able to build those reserves up. So you, if you're going to take on more risk for higher deductibles, you don't have to worry about current cash flow to make good on those unexpected claims that come up, but it's a profits from the previous years. And so that's a really efficient program, which, you know, we just did a, a webinar on that. And, and that's a good thing. Uh, that's, it's very happy to have that come to the market. Uh, it's a Lloyd's of London product. And uh, uh, I, I think it's going to change uh, a lot of clients. You're still looking at about 150000 to $250,000 in traditional premiums on all lines. Uh, but, for the right business owner, again, it's, it's a great solution for them. So, um, but the overall, I would say, is the intangible assets of a business. You know, like I was saying earlier, traditional insurance companies do a very good job insuring the tangible assets, the buildings, the autos, things that people have to get a loan on or they can touch and feel, right? They do, I, I believe traditional insurances do a very good job with that. But when you look at the intangible assets of the business is where most business owners really put the value on the business, you know, the blue sky, right? right? You know, and that's really, that's really where they fall down. And, and again, it's very hard to quantify. How do you determine losses? I mean, all sorts of stuff. So it gets back to brand damage, uh, intellectual properties, contracts, uh, all of these things, you know, your, your, your uh, uh, reputation in the community. Um, and then it goes into your, the supply chain, the, the, the contracts you have with suppliers, your, your content, all the things that bring the value to your business and the intangible, you know, when I make a presentation to business owners and, and, you know, I ask the question, what do you value most, the intangible or the tangible assets of your business? And nine times out of 10, you know, business owners are going to tell us it's the intangible. Well, what are you insuring for? 
the tangible or the intangible. And so, you know, when you, you know, I, I don't want to get specifically into to cer- certain risks for any industry, but just know that unfortunately a lot of industries across the spectrum and believe me, you know, the nice thing about this business is finding out how people make money in this country. And man, I tell you, we got some unique businesses out there that do very well. And you're like, who, who would have known? Right. And right. it's one of the great things about our business, but I'm sure you see that too. And, um, so, you know, that might be specifically to that business, right? Um, and then, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the big one we see right now is recall. Recall is happening more and more, too. And so so I can go on and on about that. Um, but I just want to make sure the clients understand, you know, your the listeners understand it's the intangible assets of the business that we want to identify. And are we covering that or not through traditional means? And if we're not, then what are we going to do differently about it? Okay. And that's really where we can dive into that risk profile to those specific businesses or industries and and go that route. So when you're looking at your typical client, let's go through and say, you know, who is the right fit client for this? It's not about industry, but there, you know, I, I have to believe that if I'm, you know, may, there's probably some revenue numbers or, or, or costs or whatever oh, yeah. that are involved that, so let's paint that picture for somebody so okay. they can say, oh yeah, that's me or anything above that. Yeah. So I would say, you know, we deal with clients from all sorts of spectrums when it comes to gross revenue. Your gross revenue of your business drives the ability to put more premium or less premium into the program. It's no different than when I go to traditional insurances and they want to know what was your gross revenue for the year. The higher higher gross revenue of your business is, the more you can expect to pay in premiums, right? That's the correlation there, right? So, you know, but, but that being said, you know, we have dentists that will only do thirty or forty thousand dollars a year in the program, and we have other practices that will do two million dollars a year. You know, the most you can do in this program is two point three million a year into the insurance comp, into the box, into the eight thirty one B plan on an annual basis, and and still be able to elect under the eight thirty one B. Now, again, there has to be some actuarials put in place. There has to be some rules put in them. You can't just say, "Hey, I want to put two point three million in." That doesn't work that way. Fair. Right. There's rules and regulations that, again, we as an administrator make sure you adhere to. So, but so we get it from all GAMs. But I would just say, on average, on average, you know, if you can't, if, you know, if you're doing more than a million dollars in gross revenue, um, and you know, I, I would say at minimum you want to do at least eighty thousand dollars a year into the program. Um, you know, that makes it work. Um, you know, the nice thing is we have some fixed expenses. Uh, if, if one year, you know, you can't afford to do anything. Um, you know, it's not going to kill you to own these things. That's another thing in our program. When we designed our program, we want it to be such a compliment to our business owners that they weren't going to get eroded any advantages that they would have had over the years uh, due to fees. And so, you know, we're very proud of that. Uh, I think our record shows that, you know, based on our growth, the amount of clients we have all over the country, that, you know, we're, we are the low-cost provider with five-star service. And, and um, you know, that's that's what we try to implement every day uh, and I, I think our success shows that great so so that that helps me on that arena like we talked about I think you said that you, you're you're creating a C corporation does each individual create their own C corporation or is it just your they become part of the one you know yeah so e- yeah so each client will have their own C corp and where and are those be- where are those being registered well that's the interesting thing that we do we do them domestically, but we do them on a federally recognized Indian tribe in Oklahoma. And that gives us the ability to be a domestic company. So we're not subject to offshore issues. Uh, it still files a federal tax return. You get an EIN number from the state of Oklahoma and it does, and you have to have a tax return on it. And we as administrator provide all of that. And we also provide a third party CPA firm that will administer the, the tax return. We don't expect our client CPA down the road to do these tax returns for this tax code. So, so we try to put it all in one box for one client. So again, we're not here to complicate business owners. I think they already have enough challenges already in life. We're, we're just going to try to be a compliment to them. And that's, and that's really the educational process of that. You know, the nice thing with the tribe that we work with, we're doing a lot of good for that tribe. They're, you know, you know, when I first started this, there was eight states promoting you to own your insurance, your this 831B plan within within the state. <laughs> it was Utah, uh, and Delaware was well known for it, um, and and I think uh, Nevada was doing it, Montana was doing it a little bit. There's now 34 states promoting you to own 831B plans in their states. 
Uh, and of course the big guys go offshore. They have no problem going to Bermuda or Cayman. And, but you know, typically our clients are a little reserved in that. They don't, you know, when they hear offshore, they, you know, that's, that's for the, you know, that's for the, uh, the, the, the big tech company guys, I guess, but because a lot of big companies own a lot of these insurance companies all over the world. I mean, I can tell you Microsoft owns about 20 different insurance companies. So, you know, nobody's selling them product liability insurance. They have to self-insure risk, right? But aside of all that, um, you know, we're, we're helping the tribe out immensely with programs. They're starting for, you know, scholarships for their, for their, for their uh, uh, members of their, of their tribe, uh, all the way down to uh, school assistance and daycare assistance. I mean, the revenue is being generated on these tribes. Uh, on the tribe that we work with is doing it no different than the white states want to. They want the premium taxes and they want the revenues for the domicile fees. Um, and so I, I really, I, I get, I'm, I'm very uh, passionate about that as well, where, you know, it's important where your insurance company is going to be held at, where your 831B plan is going to be held at and what better place than a federally recognized tribe that's trying to better their members and, and, you know, maybe don't own the big casinos and do all those other things. And so, um, it's a big advantage to our business owners. So walk me through it. And I, again, just because I think it's helpful for people to understand, yeah, no problem. you know, we talk about, and, and that's what, you know, one of the things that I've heard many times is that, you know, they're, they're developing their C corporations or, you know, offshore. And that, you know, when, as soon as you say offshore to me, I start to say, okay, what's going on? <laughs> Why, why are they doing that one? And so, and then you, you keep them in, you know, in the U S domestically done through, you know, on the Indian reservation, what are the, what's the benefit there and what, what part of the code, you know, makes that work or don't not work? Well, it, it you know, the code, the code really doesn't recognize domiciles at all. The, the domicile has never been an issue as long as there's regulations put in place. And these regulations were adopted under the, uh, the Utah regulations uh, by the tribe. Um, but the reason why they would have gone offshore is to really get around state regulations. You know, unfortunately, states, uh, everybody's looking for revenue, you know, and it gets to be very expensive. Um, you're dealing with bureaucracies that can become pretty encompassing to do business with. Okay. You know, you have to show every regulation of, of what coverages you want to put into your captive. You have to have capitalizations. You have to have prepaid premium taxes. So you start to get these regulations put in place that I, I'm sure at one point everybody thought they had to have or, you know, had a good will. You know, there's regulations put in place to protect the consumer and protect the state's interest and everything else. Right. But you get to the point where there's so much regulation um, it, and every regulation adds more cost. And so that's really. Yeah, we're on the same page. So that makes sense to me. So what, so what you're saying is, you know, I live in New York state and uh, I know some of the people that listen to this, I've seen the, uh, the statistics, there's some people in California, we might have a little bit more, you know, uh, state regulations than other people. So even though there's a federal law that mandates how this is done, on top of that, you also have state laws of how things are done. And so by domiciling your C corporation, uh, you know, via the Indian reservation and that you utilize and where the big companies will go offshore to avoid that, those, those state pieces. Did I get catch that right? 100%. And the nice thing about keeping them onshore you know, you're able to still bank wherever you want to bank. We have great banking relationships out there and you're able to manage, you know, have your financial advisor, guys like you manage the reserves, you know, and that, and that's really a big thing too. I mean, money needs to make money, right? I mean, you just don't have, you just don't put a dollar inside of a 831B plan to stare at it, you know? So, you know, there, that's really with another big, more exciting part of the planning opportunities. You know, when I was doing the property casualty insurance executives, you know, I got to know all those guys. I was, I was pretty successful at it. So I, I, you know, I went to conferences and spoke and all that stuff. And, and uh, I remember talking to those executives and they're like, yeah, you guys sell it. But, you know, really the exciting part goes on in the back room when, you know, they're moving a billion dollars around, you know, what are we going to do with our billion dollars this year? That's a little bit more exciting about me selling a home and auto insurance to, you know, a, a family that has moved into my town. But, um, and so I say that cheek and tongue a little bit, but it's true, you know, um, you know, you're able to build these reserves up and it does become a very sizable asset class for business owners. You know, it can be a game changer. It can be the ability to grow your business, to 
get out of your business. You know, that's the biggest, you know, somebody always asks us, who's, who's our traditional, who's your typical client? And, and I kind of say it and, and it, it, it's, it's just where we're at today, you know, give love a hater, whatever. But the reality is, is, you know, a lot of people put their blood, sweat and tears in their business. Every dollar they ever made, they put back in their business. They were so successful. They sent their kids off to school thinking they were someday going to come back and take the business over and they got other interests and God bless them for doing that. Uh, but they don't want anything to do with the business. And now what are they, they're staring at it going, what are we going to, how we get out of here? And that's the biggest challenge business owners have. I think small business, middle market business owners have today, you know, obviously there's a lot of money out there. I think some businesses are being priced more sold this year than I've ever seen with small businesses. But, you know, that's because of where we're at today too, you know, right. But, my my whole thing is, is, you know, if we can bring different solutions to other problems and manage risk more effectively, I just think you owe it to business owners. Business owners owe it to themselves to understand this code. That's, that and sense. whether you want to do it or not, I would tell you all your clients are eventually going to hear about it. All, all the business owners need to understand it. And they really, this is one of those tools where you have to work on the business and not in the business. Um, and understand it and whether and fully understand the risk you're taking, know that there's a little heat coming from the IRS on it and understand why there's rules and regulations put in place that you may not like at times. One of them being potentially paying other people's proportion of other people's claims. But if you don't have that, that's, that's a red flag. I'm just telling you, um, you know, all those things that, you know, I think is very important to business owners today it, for the survivability of their business. It makes sense. So then, so now I'm a business owner. Let's just say I, I've, I've done the work. We put this together. I've, I've been utilizing for 15 years. I'm 65 years old. I'm 60 years old. And, you know, I'm about to sell my business. What happens with, you know, you know, the, the, the captive, I'm not, I don't, you know, do I sell that to somebody else? How do I get out of this thing? What happens with that? Couple things, couple things. You know, it, it becomes a, a selling of stock. You sell the stock back to the corporation, it dissolves, and you know, and you take your reserves out as capital gains. Um, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing we see a lot of times in businesses is, you know, because they have warranties, they have promises made in the future. A lot of times, businesses get devalued because of that. It's time to sell. So we'll tell clients, hey, keep this 831B plan open. If any of these claims come up in the future, you know, a three-year, four-year warranty, whatever you've done with your – now you're able to keep those reserves in place. And, hey, if there's a claim that comes through, these are the reserves we're going to pay to make these claims. Now, not only do you get a, a – you avoid the devaluation now, you can actually ask for a premium. And that's – again, guys, that's a great tool for business owners, right? That's That could be a game changer again for them, especially at the right time. And so for me, it's it's a huge tool on so many levels. But the, the reality is, is, you know, say, hey, I call no joy. You can decide, hey, you know, we'll allow business owners. And again, these are our rules, but we'll allow business owners up to three years not to fund their insurance company, their 831B. We'll still keep the maintenance fees going and everything else that's manageable. But we'll allow up to three years for them to close that 831B plan down once the operating company has been sold. Okay. Um, and so, that, and again, it's coming out of capital gains. And, and, and you know, we hope our clients win on all that. Um, they're winning today through, you know, the way the tax codes are written, but we know that can change. And, uh, you know, if that's, the, again, I will tell this business owners all the time, I get the motivation, you know, no different than the 401k you Congress created the, the, the tax incentives to do the program. Right. Um, but understand that if that's your motivation to do just to defer, then this probably isn't for you. There's certainly not the client we would like. I'm sure there's other administrators that would love to have your business. And, and, you know, the crazy thing is when we first started, I mean, like we had a lot of business owners get motivated that way and, and that was fine in a way, but with time, they really start to become a better client is all I would say. The, 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 they're, 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 you know, as you get older, you get a little bit wiser and you start to think, man, if I was able to defer some of these profits, build these reserves up in the back room, I'm just going to sleep easier at night. And that, again, that's, that's just what clients tell us. And that's, that's the greatest compliment we can get from any of our clients. I think that's true of any uh, consulting profession. Sure. So, so let's talk, let's make that analogy and tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. 
if I'm utilizing a 401k for my employees and myself, I'm putting my money in, I can do it before tax or after tax, but the traditional 401k is I use my before tax money, I put it in there, it grows tax deferred for, you know, and then upon retirement after age 59 and a half, I'm taking that money out and I'm paying income taxes on it, right? And yep. during the time that I was there, you know, there, if I needed to take a loan from it, I could. There was, you know, depending on the rules of the plan and whatnot. So in, the, so that's the four hundred one k, which is that you know people are familiar with. With the eight thirty one, tell me if I've got this right. With the eight thirty one plan, what's happening is I'm setting aside before tax dollars for all the risks that I may be, my, the intangible risks that I may be facing, and they keep mounting up on all of us on a pretty regular basis. That money goes into the four, to the 830, who I almost said it, into the 831B. <laughs> it goes into the 831B and it's an 831B is just the tax code. That's you know, just like 401k, people don't realize exactly. that. it's just the tax code. So the 831B, so the money goes in there. And then through the years that I've been paying premiums for the different risks that we're insuring, based on, you know, a conversation and some consultation that they're working with you, and then you're putting those pieces together, they may have some claims throughout the course of the, the 10, 15 years that they're in there. And that's there for their benefit. When those claims are paid out to them, how are they receiving that money? So let's say I had a claim on my brand. I had a hit of $50,000 it cost me and it's un uninsured. How's that money coming out to me? So, so the well, there has to be an underwriting. There has to be a claims process and adjudicating of the claim. We have a process to that. Typically, we look at the previous year's gross revenues. We compare them to the loss of income, and is there a loss of income, and then is there any outside influences of that loss of income, not just the brand, right? So, there's got to be some adjudication of claims going on. Again, as we as administrator, that's our job. And then what we'll do those, we we utilize a fronting company. What I mean by that is, is we, there's actually a, a an insurance. The, we have a big box. Think of that as a mothership. No different than uh, uh, compared to a 401k would be a, a clearinghouse, Schwab, something like that, right? So the money comes through. So what would happen is, is, let's say it's a legitimate claim. There's damages. We're able to assess the, the, the and let's say it's a max claim. Let's say the policy was a half a million dollars, just saying. Um, the client's on the hook for the first 250000 of that. So it's going to come out of their 831B plan. It's going to go to the the mothership box. The mothership also retains some risk, so it's got to put some money into it, and then it's got to go out to everybody that let's say it was a brand damage. So if we had 400 clients, depending on the amount of premium on a pro rata sharing, we're going to come back in and put the money in there, and then the mothership's going to write a check for five hundred thousand dollars minus their deductible and everything else back to the operating company. Now I will just tell you this. That sounds complicated, and we're not here to build a rocket ship. But I will say this: we we have really good educational videos that go through the process, move the claims through the client. Under so they under again, this is part of their education. Uh, I think it's extremely important for them to get educated, um, know enough to be comfortable with it, move forward or not move forward, and then after that, know that they have an administrator like us that will help them in the always answer their questions. But uh, they don't have to become insurance expert. I guess is the point I'm trying to make there. So. You know, but it's very, it's a very uh, process way. When the owner gets that cash to take care of that thing, is that yes. taxable? That's what I was trying to figure out. What it, it, it does become income to the business, right? So whatever expenses they've incurred. Just like if it was an insurance expenses. claim, just like any ordinary insurance claim. This okay. like a business interruption claim. You know, it, it is an income, you know, it's an income protection policy, you know, no different than the absolutely. farmer with crop insurance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that answers one question. Now I retire and I close down the, the 831B three years after I sell the business, whatever yeah. the case the may be. If I understand what you're saying at that point, it's whatever's in my C corporation. Is that right? My reserves yeah. that I've built up. If I pull them out of there, now when I pull them out of there, instead of being ordinary income tax, they're going to be capital gain taxed. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, so as long that, as the premium season, as long as the premium season. I, I should mention, and, and you know, it's just kind of where I'm at today, and it, because we don't even talk about taxes that much, but it's important for business owners, again, just like everything, it's part of the rules, right? Part of the game. I think, I, I don't know if I said this, um, and shame on me for not saying this earlier, but 
the reason why the 831 why the reason why you want to elect under the 831b is the premium you put into the 831b is not taxable income to that c corp the only thing that is taxable is the investment on the income returns of that of those premiums so the premium going into the into the 831b plan is not income so it doesn't get taxed at corporate rates there's the big advantage right you know one of the biggest yeah, one of the biggest knocks on C-Corps is the double taxation, right? right? So if I take a distribution, it's not a deduction. If I, But, you know, but the biggest thing is the premium going into these things under the 831B tax code and up to $2.3 million per year will not, it's not taxable income. It is recognized income, but it's not taxable income. It's only the investment income on those reserves that get taxed. That makes so, sense. And I apologize. Okay. I mean, that's the big motivation, obviously, right? That's where the deferral of taxes come. But, you know, it speaks to where we're at today. I mean, you know, again, the motivation, you know, sometimes it's for taxes, but for us, it's about risk mitigation. And that's, I can't say. I get that. I was just trying to look at some of the mechanics so that people could understand. No, no, no. That's where the rub is, right? So you're not being taxed on the premiums. If I'm putting a million dollars a year and I'm deferring it out of my operating company under 162 line item deductions as ordinary and necessary expenses. And then I'm putting it into an 831B. I'm not paying a million dollars in corporate taxes on the million dollars. I'm only paying what the investment income is. And then I'm coming out the other side as a dividend or capital gains. Yeah, there's some tax arbitrage going on. Absolutely. Uh, currently, there is. Um, down the road, there may not be. You know, again. Right. You know, so but- you still need to be doing it for the right reasons, which is go back to 1986 when they did that tax reform. If you're just, if you're, do- they they got rid of the loopholes because people were doing real estate deals for just the tax oh. purposes, and all those things became worthless. So if you're going into this, you know, this session, this, the, you know, the. Uh, an 831b just for the tax purposes that's wrong thinking and that's and, and, and you'll and you're going to get and you're going to get burned you know eventually along the right thing to be doing is exactly what you're doing do these things right protect your business pre- allow yourself to sleep at night with some of these things and there's risks that are uninsured they're intangible and it really does make sense to this is something that would be worth exploring if somebody wants to explore these things with you um, if I'm not mistaken, they can go to 831b.com, right? Yep. 831b.com is your website. And, you know, you can, you can connect with Van there. Um, I bet you, you probably do some webinars and some things that, you know, people could, could Absolutely. learn a little bit more about. Yeah, and, we do uh, a lot of those. We, we're, was, we're an educator. We're an educator out there. And, and, and again, it's, uh, it's, it's been a fun, uh, fun road and it continues. I mean, Last year was uh, proof of concept for a lot of our business owners, and sure. unfortunately, sure. and uh, for some of them, maybe too late. But you know, if you're still in the game and you're still trying to run a business, again, I can't emphasize it enough. You need need to know and understand about it uh, enough to where you can make a, a, a qualified decision. Great. Well, this has been really helpful for me because, like I said, you know, uh, we we hear the buzzwords and we hear the you know we, we like tax strategies, tax reduction strategies. We do not like anything that has the potential of being devastating in the wrong areas. And you brought to light all the good reasons around utilizing an A31B plan. And um, we're not out here, you know, uh, we are not endorsing A31B plans. This is just, you know, really been educational and done a, a really good job with this. And I appreciate your time. Van Carlson, um, 831B.com is how you find him. Um, my name is Michael Columbus. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York, and we are so glad that you ch- yeah, that you turned in. Make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss an episode as we're coming down the future with these things. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation 
a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.